HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hello, and welcome to Snacking Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's show, we are joined by Tim Weichman, award-winning Boston chef and musician. We talk about traveling the world with his dad, falling in love with food and music, and lessons from his pandemic pivot. Tim also brings his electric guitar to the show and lays down a couple of tunes for us. Then we dip into the archives with performance from Moon Hooch. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we have Tim Weichman from the great city of Boston joining us very specially with his guitar. I'm very excited. It's not often that we have our chef or food guest come on and play music, but uh, as we get into his history, you'll see why we made the ask. Uh, Tim, welcome to Snacky Tunes. How are you doing? It's like to be here. Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, the, fr- the first question that we ask everyone kind of after this unbelievable 15, 16 months is just, how are you doing? Uh, we're good. We're uh, happy to still be here and we're happy to still be doing what we have done for a long time. Um, we have two restaurants and a bakery and um, we're just really psyched. The pandemic is uh, in the rear view mirror for us and mostly and, um, you know, staying positive and really uh, learned a lot of things, really grateful about what we've done in the past and uh, just taking it one day at a time kind of and being really happy to go and cook and uh, be open, frankly, <laughs> you know, just just pretty happy, you know. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, let's go back. You are a first-generation German-American. Uh, right. You spent your time between Massachusetts and Switzerland. When you were younger, you traveled all over the world with your dad, uh, who introduced you to international cuisine. What were some of the dishes that you remember eating with your dad that kind of sparked your beginning passion for food? Right. My, my upbringing is uh, very um, just not not that average, I guess, but, um, you know, my, my parents are both Germans and they moved to Cambridge, uh, to work at Harvard. And in that, um, my father was, uh, he, he ended up traveling for Harvard and then he brought his kids with him. So that was me. And for whatever reason, I, I just had this, you know, I, I fell in love with food really quickly, really early, uh, and with music. And I was exposed to a lot of different food. Um, just by going to different countries. Um, and, you know, we, we lived, we had a home base in Europe and we were also in, in Massachusetts, but uh, it just became like a thing where wherever I went, you know, he, he would say, you want to try this, you want to try that. And I gravitated towards food. Um, if we were in Chile, I, I remember t- eating like these shrimp soups or uh, when we were in Japan that you know, it was fish for breakfast, and I, I couldn't understand that as, as a four-year-old. Um, but, you know, it really opened my palate at that memorable age, um, and that it just sticks with you forever when it's really young and you're exposed to something like that. So, um, you know, I grew all the way into, obviously, being a chef now. So um, that's kind of the backstory on it and why I, why I love it, you know, and why I love the, the breadth of the, the field, basically. It's there's so many things you can do in food and so many different ideas you can have and you can be so creative. And um, that's kind of been our career, you know, trying to be as colorful as possible and try different things and, um, you know, push ourselves to do to do new things. You know, that's where I that's my zone. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) That's my zone is okay. I've tried that now. uh, I haven't done that. So why don't I try that? And as hard as it is and, you know, as as much as we struggle sometimes learning a new craft or trade or part of part of the restaurant business, you know, it's, it's still fun to do that stuff. You know, it's uh, that that's who I am. Yeah. As we, as we found on the show, uh, so many chefs before they really got serious about cooking were, were musicians. We have uh, talked about how they're both creative disciplines. They're ways to connect with people, uh, not necessarily through words, but through arcu- articulation of either notes or ingredients um you didn't just get into music you traveled and toured professionally um where did you go and what did you you pick up and and what was some of your favorite styles of of music so so for me you know my story is i couldn't really decide which career i wanted to have i you know i i did go to university and i i was just kind of like 18 19 20 21 i just really didn't have like laser focus with my life you know i i love to do a lot of things and i was a creative person but i 
I played guitar the whole time as a child. And I also love music from all the places we went to. Um, and I just worked in restaurants. That was just like how I worked in the summertime and made money. And uh, I like the discipline of work, but you know, I, I definitely loved playing music and, and uh, I studied with uh, a really good teacher named Richie Hart, who's a, a jazz musician from New York who had played with all the, you know, really the, the whole songbook of like Blue Note Records. And, and I was like, I just want to try to play and, and sound good and play like that. So I practiced a lot and, and he really taught me a lot. And then, then I was hired by this uh, gentleman named Ron Levy, who was in the, in the BB King band for 10 years and played with Albert King. And I love blues and jazz. So I went on tour with him for about a year and a half like in the early 2000s and um, played with some really spectacular musicians. And it, and it was, it was an unbelievable experience and talking about it now, it's, you know, it's just an amazing experience that, that I was lucky to have really. Um, and then I said, you know, I, but then the music business and I was like, you know, if I get my own restaurant, I can probably, you know, the, the travel part of being a musician, I just didn't love as much as music itself. I think that's what I finally have come to. Um, and I, I loved building my own restaurant and having people come there and, and having that consistency, you know. So that was really the difference. But I, I still, you know, in that restaurant, uh, I ran my own jazz trio with a good friend of mine, Dean Johnston, who's um, in the band called Club Delph. It's a great band, really good musicians. And, and um, it, you know, I had my own jazz trio and and right now I'm even talking about doing it again because the music industry, the local music industry has really changed with since the pandemic. So I was thinking about having a live music in my pizza restaurant again. And that's just like, I might do that and uh, probably going to do that. So, you know, it's always there for me. It's just always like, and it's always a change of scenery from, from that one area, which is food, you know, because you do, get really into food but then it's also nice to let just be like okay this is like a different different zone. <laughs> you know you know what i mean like to, just to switch it up <laughs> yeah ab absolutely uh in the process of of songwriting and creating dishes where do you find similarities well for me the two things that overlap for me were jazz and french cuisine so like i learned french cuisine i worked with these really I like wrote all these letters to these guys. This was way, way back. And, and I, uh, they said, you can come work in our kitchen. And I don't even know if this happens anymore, but like, you know, I was the stagiaire at Taillevant. I was the stagiaire at Robuchon. And, you know, those are very complex kitchens. They have, you know, so many, so many components on every plate and so many cooks and chefs putting all those components. And that is fine dining. And, and I was really drawn to that. And it was like, that's really similar to me to how jazz works or how classical music works, which I, I don't know classical music, but you know, it's a, it's a study of harmony and layering and allowing many different things to go on top of each other. Um, and you just kind of get into that sphere and your mind just like, it, it, it allows your mind to go as far as you want to go with it. And that, that was attractive um, as a young chef you know, fine dining being that way, you know, you can take lemongrass, you can take coffee, you can take a mushroom that, you know, and, and you can just go with whatever idea you have. You're not fixed in a rule of like, uh, you know, on my bagel, I want cream cheese. You know, that's kind of, which I love because I have a bagel shop, but you know, that's where I've come to the simplicity. But when I started definitely jazz and French cooking or, or fine dining cooking is, is really similar in my mind. You know, incredible. Sense. Well, you have a good, you yeah, perfect answer. Uh, you have a guitar in your lap. Normally, we would cut to a song from our archives, but we've asked you to play a couple songs for us during our musical breaks. Um, what are you gonna what What song are you gonna play for us first? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just gonna play some blues for you. You know, I got a great uh, old Fender Twin and. I have a great guitar uh, from my friend Chris in uh, Austin, Texas. He builds these guitars, and I have two of them. It's called Bell Tower Guitar, so it's a custom guitar. 
and um, it's a lot of fun. So we'll just play, you know, a little shuffle or something. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Tim Weichman uh, from Boston playing us some uh, some rhythm and blues, Chicago style. Um, I want to get into your current restaurant empire or growing uh, empire. You know, you opened up a restaurant in 2007, but Brown really opened up in 2013 to really incredible reviews. Um, it pulls on your German heritage. Uh, it's a beer garden. Um, what went into the thinking and, and kind of what space um, was open in the Boston food scene that allowed room for this restaurant to open? What, what kind of spot did you fill? So uh, Bronwyn is my wife's name. And, um, you know, that's, that's a very, very special restaurant and it's, it, it's carried us through the pandemic and it's, it, it's been I mean, it's been our most successful restaurant. Um, maybe it's the most authentic to me. It has my parent, my grandparents' chandeliers in it. Uh, maybe making sausage comes naturally from my fingertips. It, it does. Um, I don't. I don't know what makes that place so um, successful, or because I've had many restaurants. Um, and I, I mean, almost all of them have been successful, but that one is just really special. It's just like it, I built a lot of the tables myself and we just put a lot of care into it. And it really transports you to that feeling of, of Germany um, from someone who is German. So I can't, it's tough to put my finger on it, um, but it really, you know, we, we opened it in 2013 the restaurant landscape was really different. Um, it's still incredibly busy today. I mean, we're just really thankful to have it and what it does. And it's unique. You know, we, we make our own sausages by hand, a whole lot of them. Uh, and you just don't see that as much anymore. You know, it's, it's a lost art. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. You know, it's a great place. It's so interesting to hear you say that you're not quite sure because, you know, so many musicians when they're like, hey, did you know that like when you wrote this song it was going to be a hit? Sometimes they're like, yes, we knew we it, no given to us from the ether pulled from like our our brains to our our guitars. But a lot of the times they're like, no, <laughs> we just wrote this song and, and we don't know why, but it just struck a chord with people. Uh, do you, do you have a similar feeling that like there was like a kind of divine intervention when you were making this restaurant that channeled uh, its success similar to write, to writing a hit song? Yeah. I mean, it's exactly, it's exactly what you're saying right there. Like you have, as a chef, you, you think you have a good idea when you head out to the world to do it. And, but you, you don't know if it's going to be the second song on the album or the first song that's, that people are going to love. You love the, you love as an artist, you get behind everything that you do and it, you know, you, you love it a hundred percent, no matter what you do, you know, like it's just, sometimes it resonates and sometimes it doesn't resonate as much. And that's, 
you know, that's just the way it is. I think film, if you interviewed filmmakers, they'd probably say the same thing, you know, but with, with Bronwyn, I, I can give you all of those things that, uh, you know, it's a corner location. It's Somerville, Somerville. We were one of the first people in Somerville to, which is now like totally exploded. Um, it, it's so many different things as to why that restaurant really took off on a national stage. And, you know, to this day is really busy. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, really don't know other than the authenticity and care, but I, but we do that for, for everything we do, you know? So, um, it, it just, it, what's, what's the sound, what's the soundtrack there? Oh, for music. Uh, I, you know, it, it's, I, we don't play German music in there and we don't, uh, dress up for, like you would in a traditional, you know, what you see in most German restaurants, we don't wear dirndls and lederhosen except at Oktoberfest. Um, so it really bridged the gap of like, it's not, it, it's an urban restaurant without being like a clone of what would happen in Germany. You know, it transcended that. It, it it's, it's, I'm having a hard time putting words to that, but that's, that's really what it is. It's not, it's not a gimmick. Like it's not like a, uh, you know, it's not a Disney like world experience, you know, which is also fun. It's just, it's, it really brought in the local, brought in the square, brought in the city of Somerville and it maintained that cultural thing, you know, with, with large groups of people, like it's a small restaurant, but like an 18 top will walk in the door They'll just walk in because people think, you know, German conviviality, they think these things and, and and it's, it's loose and it's fun. And that's, that's what people love about those kind of that, you know, that is how, it is how people get together in Germany. You know, it's it's like, it carries that cultural hospitality, so to speak, you know, and it's loose and it's not, it's not pretentious and it's not, it's, it's all those things, you know. Uh, in 2019, you opened T&B uh, Woodfired and then almost immediately had to pivot due to the pandemic. Uh, tell me a little bit about the concept behind Woodfired and then the bakery that you opened uh, when faced with the challenge of a complete shutdown. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that restaurant, uh, we, we had a, a large degree of not the best luck in that we weren't able to establish ourselves uh, very long. Um, but we wanted a restaurant right next door to Bronwyn, you know, because we are not a large organization and we want to be able to just, you know, go to one location and one area. Um, and I was like, you know, this is where I could use a nice pizza shop. And again, I love to bake. Um, so, and I love wood and I love pizza and I love the simplicity of it and I love the, the craft of it. So, Um, so we built the store and, uh, it did really well until the pandemic hit and, but it had a great bar scene. So we had to, we really had to pivot, you know, we just, we had to decide what we're going to do and we closed it for a while and we used the space to create the bagel store, um, like many places, um, which has been doing really well. And now we actually have this cool restaurant that is that wood fire oven runs in the morning for a Montreal style bagel. And then in the evening we light it up higher to the 700 degrees and we cook Neapolitan pizza in there. So it really has a cool like village French village um, methodology to it. There's no gas cooking in there. Everything's done in the wood oven. Uh, And I love that, you know, that's a, that's just like a cool part of cooking that I love you know, kind of, I've gotten away from, uh, from fine dining. Uh, and that's, that's where I landed. And that's what I like to do. You know, I like to go in it and, and work the wood oven, <laughs> you know, cause I've done the whole brigade and all the people and I've, you know, this is current, my current, like, you know, what I like to do is just like throw some wood in the fire and cook a bunch of pizzas. It's, it's simple, but it's delicious. It's, it's like, it's very laissez faire, you know? 
And we've seen this. It's it's really interesting. I think one of the trends is, and usually it's two different businesses, but it's so interesting to see that a nighttime maybe dinner restaurant is now using its space for breakfast um, or to be able to shelter two different restaurant concepts in one permanent place. Uh, as the owner of both, I mean, do you have uh, – how are you able to change the vibe or change the scene for the breakfast place um, and to the dinner place? Do you have different music? Um, is there different napkins, cult early well, logo, et cetera? Yeah. Like how do you create two different yeah. worlds or are they very similar? Uh, well, you know, again, it, the bagel restaurant was a pandemic response, you know, a hundred percent. It's not like it was my next big idea. It was, it was, wow, my bar scene is gone. I don't want to lose this restaurant. What can I create that people can come pick up? So the bagel restaurant at this point doesn't, isn't even, is only a pickup restaurant in the morning. It's not even a cafe to come in. It's purely order on your phone, pick up these great bagels and the fish platters and the sandwiches. Um, and it's, and it's busy, but we haven't opened it up as a cafe yet. You know, we've only opened the reopened our pizza restaurant for about six weeks. Um, so we're, we're really just like easing back into that whole, whole figuring out what to do with it really. You know, I mean, I, I love both of them. So we're, and they work, so I'm going to keep them, um, and I like the food products and I like that village story. I like the oven running all day, but you know, it was definitely, that's definitely a result of being in a very difficult position. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to explain that, you know, so we made the best of it. Let's do, we, that's do you, what we, that's what I say. Do you foresee like a, an afternoon sandwich program with like fresh bread to get from like the breakfast to sandwiches to food and just make not yet. I haven't program. bridged the gap. I just close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the third product to the transition product. Um, no, I mean that they, they, you know, they're, uh, we close the bagels at, at one o'clock, you know, and they, of course you could have a bagel store open all day, but it doesn't make sense. We, you know, I still like making pizzas and, uh, it's a, we built a great nighttime restaurant. So hopefully, you know, it'll just, we'll just, it'll just, things will just get better. And, you know, I, it, it's all good. <laughs> it's just, this was the story of what happened and how I, you know, my wife and I, how we responded. It was either, it was either that or like, here's the keys, you know, and here's the keys to the car, take it away, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and we had just built it. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of like, difficult choices let's say which is why i'm in a great mood today and why when you first asked me how's everything going i say double thumbs up man (laughs) you know um well that that is incredible to hear Uh, i want to make sure we have time for one more tune but uh chef it's so amazing to see you in a good mood uh we did so many interviews with people in the last year and change where uh that was not the case so i mean you know it's obviously radio but we're on video chat so if i can just convey to the listeners the massive smile on your face and the the air of relief if i might say that's emanating off of you it's it's quite good um before you tell us what you're going to play where can people go to find you? How do they go to your restaurants? How do they have a bagel? Then get a pizza. Then get a sausage. How do they get everything? Uh, well, I mean, Bronwyn is there. Uh, TMB Woodfire Pizza is there, and Turin Bagels are there. Um, they're all in the middle of Somerville, um, so you have to come to Boston. Uh, currently, you can't come and see me play because I don't have anything together in that department, but. Um, you know, that's, that's where we are. And, uh, we don't really, again, we're, we're pretty grateful that, that we're here and we're not really planning anything big and new. We're just, we're just taking it day by day and happy to be open and happy that people are coming out and appreciating what we're doing because for the first time, you know, in, in 20 years of running restaurants, it was like, wow, you know, we can't do what we've done for, for 20 years. So, uh, you know, it's just a time to like, to be kind of psyched that the restaurant business is like mildly, you know, getting back together. <laughs> really like that's it, you know, and to be grateful for, you know, just to be grateful for like 
having them, I guess, you know, because, because really, you know, and a lot of, and I, I know people did lose their restaurants. So it's like that, that could have been me. You know, so it's tough. Uh, you, could, you couldn't have said it better. Um, what are you going to, what are you going to play for us before we uh, come back with the second half of the show? I'm going to play uh, one of my original compositions. All right. This is a song uh, written for this guitar, a Telecaster. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Welcome, Moon Hooch. Yeah. Hey. Um, are you guys can move a little bit closer to the, to the cool. mic. I have to say that you are my favorite buskers and... Thank you. Uh, Hold on, let, let's step back. So we I can't, I can't start with compliments. Well, no, you can start with compliments. But uh, Darren and I were, you know, I, we we live off the L train, and I transfer at Fourteenth Square, and like I saw you guys play, and I was like, man, like I see a lot of buskers, but like, what are these guys doing down here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. They're a little bit too, you know, they're not playing a pan flute, and like I really felt that you guys should be like above ground. And then we started talking. I was like, dude, I saw the. I saw this band. He's like, was it Moon Hooch? I was like, yeah, it was totally those guys. Um, so eventually we were like, we got to just get these guys on the show. And then I saw you play like a few weeks ago on a Friday night. I was coming back from dinner and it was a literal just dance party in, at 14th Square. Um, people were just skipping their trains just to uh, just to dance. First yeah. off, how often does that happen? Every weekend if we, if we play yeah. there. But we don't play every weekend, so right. it's kind of irregular. Yeah, recently we've been playing at Union, uh, actually Washington Square Park, under the arch. Who mm. who do I have to go beat up if they like move you away from my train stop? Well, re- it, actually, it did happen already. The police has been cracking down all the buskers at at 14th Street Union Square. Yeah, they're like they're trying to stop. Yeah, all so you, lately, yeah. every time we played there, we were stopped by the so, police. So let's step back. How do you become a, a busker in New York? And like, is it official? Is it a schedule? Uh, well, the way we do it is very unofficial. We just set up wherever and play. 
It's totally illegal. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is there is like a program called Music Under New York, and that gives you like a permit to play, but you can't play on the subways on the platforms. You can only play in the mezzanines. Okay. But the problem with this is the judges of the program are musicians themselves, subway musicians themselves, so they give themselves the permits. Uh, and we applied okay. for it. We didn't get one. We didn't get a permit. So <laughs> is there is there a code? Of like, is there a code? Because I feel that I saw you guys play there on like somewhat regular, ba- like basis. Like, is there a code? Like, hey man, we were here first, or it's like, oh, like yeah. other buskers, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's first come, first serve, really. Well, and, it, uh, yeah, it was really hard for us to like get accepted by the other buskers because yeah. some of them do this for like ten years, right? And like, I mean, there was definitely a couple of occasions where we almost got in fist fights. Yeah. Really, but, well, James, think, James. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll leave that story for uh, for off air. But uh, so, but so, what is the? I mean, what is the history of you guys? Like, how did you form, and how did you decide to to go underground? Like, literally, well, we were all we all went to the new school, okay, uh, for music together. And um, James and I were friends, but once and I kind of knew each other. Wait, take it around the room because we didn't make an. Oh yeah, sense. James is the. <laughs> Hello. He's the distant voice in the back. Just the drummer. <laughs> I don't have a microphone. Oh, no, it sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good? Yeah, it's good. It's picking up. Yeah. Right. So and, uh, James. I'm Mike. Okay. Saxophone. I'm Wenzel. Yeah, Other saxophone. saxophone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we went to school together. And James and I were playing, uh, you know, separately. And Wenzel was playing with James. And we were both kind of going down to the subway, but on, like, in separate groups, you know, just separate duos. And then one day we met in um, Washington Square and James and Wenzel were playing under the arch and I was with another drummer um, named Max and we decided to play together and a, and a huge crowd formed around us and we were playing um, like house kind of like house housey dance music because Wenzel has been producing it and um, you know he said like oh, I'll play in this key something like that and came up with a melody over it and you know, we got a really good crowd into reaction so we decided to keep going with it. Yeah, I started just riding in the subway, on the subway rides to the platform, just little melodies and, and bass lines, just like I would do when I produce like an electronic song, like that kind of style, and showed it to Mike, and we just quickly learned it by heart and started playing. In the beginning, we only had like one or two songs, and like we just all lo- night we just yeah. looping the same song. <laughs> it kept it kept drunk people dancing. Though. Yeah, but I mean, if it's a subway platform, like you really probably like need like what maybe like twenty two minutes if it's late at night because the trains right. going. Yeah, even, right. even less. I mean, twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm being generous. Yeah, yeah. Like, but but yeah, now we have like a full like I don't know. Two hour set. With like I mean, you have a full record. 20, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we actually we, have another one ready, but we we're gonna work on it some more before we go and go in the studio. Uh, and before we get into a song, um, where did the name come from? Mike just blurted out one day. We were playing. We had no name. We weren't even considering ourselves a band. We were just all making money in the subway. And somebody asked us, "Hey, well, what's our name?" And Mike just was in a goofy mood and said, "Moon Juice." And we said, oh, "Actually, that sounds like a cool name." And then we looked it up, and there were eight bands called Moon Juice. Of course. <laughs> and <laughs> then, Obviously. Then we went through the thesaurus, and we found a replacement for Juice. I mean, it, it is... And then Hooch, and then it made sense. Like, oh, it's like yeah. Moonshine. Or yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Let's get into a song. Yeah. All right. Do a song. Let's rip, which, uh, let's rip which one are you guys going to play first? Number um, seven, this one's called. Or Take the L Train. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I get the reference. Uh, <laughs> live, uh, live on Snacky Tunes, Moon Hooch. It's, uh, it's about to get loud.
Wow. I think that is the loudest that it's been in here. Uh, no. No? Maculates. Oh, Maculates. Yeah, I guess they had, they had amps. All right, second, second loudest. So uh, dancy. Yeah, so dancy. I mean, so how much of does your electronic house music background come to influence uh, in writing your songs now? Um, well, a, yeah, fair amount, actually. We, we all started listening to electronic music. Uh, probably, I mean, I started listening to electronic music probably about two years ago. Wenzel's been doing it for like maybe five years. Mike, about the same Have you? Years. Five years? What? Listening or producing? Listening. I've been listening to. I got really into electronic music when I started producing it. Like that's I think when I got. When was that? I don't. I don't know. When was it? Like on the cruise ship. Eight or seven. Uh, it was an eight or nine. Uh, cruise ship. Cruise ship. Yeah, I was working on a cruise ship, and I. That's like two thousand. Nine. Nine, yeah. What, what were you, you're going to drop that in there like it's a comment. What were you doing on a cruise ship? <laughs> well, I, was, I was actually working there as a saxophone player and flautist and clarinetist. Oh, okay. But, but my passion was not really the music we played there. It was just more like work. And I got to know the DJ of okay. the cruise ship, and we just like started producing together. Amazing. Yeah. So how did you? So how did you go from busking to gigs, or were you also pursuing gigs like in clubs along the same time? I think it's just that people see us on the train and, and literally drop their card or take our card or, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, and now we have a manager, so things are thank, much Hey, easier. by the way, thank you, Rich. He got back to me immediately. Signed yeah, Richard's the man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, 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 awesome. he's nailing it. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's much easier now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine. So um, what was your first gig um, outside of busking together? As first movie? ever? I remember it. You know where it was? I, I, I was on the, on the rooftop of... What's the name? Red hair girl. Oh, that's right. Uh, Randall Wendell. Oh, yeah. Randall yeah. Wendell. Yeah. Holy shit! Was yeah. that the first that's ever? That's our first gig. I remember in Williamsburg, exactly, that's right. Yeah, because we yeah we never played a gig before and we were like really worried we're gonna run out of songs and whatnot. Or people are not gonna like it. I don't. I you remember can't do exactly. the like repeat trick like you do in right. subway. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was really cool. Actually, people started dancing so hard the roof almost collapsed. Yeah, but that, that was not because people danced it was the roof was shitty yeah okay but, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was definitely quite an experience and then so and you guys formed when exactly summer of 2010 okay oh so not that not that long ago no we're, we're newborns yeah. that's amazing so, seven two years yeah. so like just to go back to the subway because it's, it's such an interesting thing we don't get to talk to too many buskers like what was it like that you had to do to get accepted by the other buskers um, and like what were some um, of the the, well, the trappings you know, they, they used to come at us, like, we play, and, like, a, a bucket drummer came, sat up next to us, and started playing a different tempo. And yeah, they, they were, wow. like, real and, rude about it. Like, super, super aggressive. Yeah, super wow. sandbag. So really aggressive. That's aggressive, and, and, right? It's not passive-aggressive. No, no, it's, okay. no it's just, and, like, and, and then, like, we said something like, what, what do you want to play together? Or, like, do you want to... Just wouldn't respond. I'm doing this for ten years. T- ten years. Do you see the marks here? That's because I've made them. I've been here for ten years. Oh, the marks as the yeah, people want. and, you know... Yeah, it got really heated, the situation, and we so left. We ended up just and, and, and like, whatever, man, you can have you know, just, the, We're not going to fight you over situation this. Yeah. Over and over again, and then the, the other buskers actually listen to you, and then they actually, you know, we start liking each other, and, right. and, and now I feel like like the other buskers are our friends, and we like we say, hey, I'm going to come back in one hour, are you going to be still playing? Oh, yeah, you know, we, it's more... Yeah, we kind of just schedule it, you know, yeah, whoever's there first, like, and then we're like, yeah, yeah, so we'll be here until 10, you know, you can have it then. Huh. And, uh, but so like all the people on like Bedford and everything like that's also illegal yeah. as well. Yeah. Everything, yeah, everything is legal. Someone, yeah. I, well, what about those people in uh, with the signs? Well, you said that's part of the alliance, right? Wait, that's right. on the mezzanine. The mezzanine yeah. with the music on the New York yeah, signs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's legal. So what are the cops? Do they come and they're like, you guys can't be here? Or it depends. It depends on the cop. Sometimes the cops like our music and they just let us keep going. But yeah. sometimes they like they'll yell at us. And be like, this isn't a club. That's so. Cr- I mean, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Oh, really? So. The thing, well, the thing is that it's not like a strict law. It's kind of like ambiguous. Gray area, ambiguous, you know? yeah, because we don't have amplification. Right. That's the one thing I know. Mean, it's like no electricity. Right. But you guys are loud as shit. Yeah, so. we're loud. <laughs> like yeah. the guy with the pan flute is definitely not gonna right. start it. Got amplification. Uh, actually, does, yeah. if yeah, you look does. at the the plan, the one guy we saw his his pan flute still attached to a microphone that he stand that he used to play off of, yeah, yeah. which is kind of sad because it's like. A yes year thing, and you're not really gonna hear the theme to Titanic the same way without the backing tracks. So, yeah. you guys are loud, so I can see how like they would be like, "Well, 
that's kind of yeah, not, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cops walk we by, and so I can't even hear myself thinking stuff. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, I mean, totally makes sense. Just so, do you see, uh, you know, as things progress, you know, leaving the subway and just playing more and more shows? Like, was yeah. this a stepping stone? Totally. Or I mean, well, we have we have a we we do have a, I mean, we have a residency right, right. now. Um, how did the re- how did the residency? It's at Knitting Factory. Yeah, right. How did that come about? Um, well, I got in touch with them. Last year, because we were we're doing warehouse parties, and those became too dangerous, too illegal, too and too big, and we didn't want to have the responsibility anymore, so we want to contact clubs to play in clubs. And after, you know, talking a little bit to the, to the name factory, they finally booked us, and the bartender and intern, who was Richard, um, d- figured out that we didn't have a manager, and he always wanted to be a manager, and he's really talented as a manager. Wait, so, so what? Sorry, I'm on, talking like, about. No, I'm, no, I get it. So Richard was a bartender yeah. at Knitting Factory. And, and the book, yeah. he did booking. And he did yeah, booking. And then he oh. got us the residency. And he's still working over there? Yeah, yeah he still yeah. works there too. So, pretty good. Pretty right? good. Yeah, it's pretty great. good. It's Extra drink tickets, right? Huh? Extra drink tickets. Well, we got a bottle of Jameson in the in the green room. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we have the same writer. Exact yeah. same writer. Well, um, Let's so, play that song. Wait a second, how does the fee get negotiated? Does he just kind of like look in a mirror and be like, I don't know, man, it seems a little high. It's like, well, you know, they're a good band, they've been working hard. No? No, well, no he's, not, he's not the manager at the name factory, so he has to negotiate with the manager at the name factory. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, let's rip another tune. I think we can actually say rip another tune for this band. Song from Miguel? Yeah, that's why I've been saying it. Yeah. Let's do it. This next one is called uh, Song from Miguel. Miguel's a guy, a uh, really awesome man, who gave us our saxophones, actually. He gave them to you? Yeah, all of them. So he's a man. Yeah, and they're like the best sax ones you can get. So thank you, Miguel. (laughs) Always.
Barn burner. Are they getting pissed off over there? I think they're getting a little. I think it's a little loud. <laughs> it's uh, fine. I, I I think we'll maybe just keep it at those two songs and we'll just kind of take it out. Cool. Because, uh, uh, wait, can you go back to that story about getting the saxophones? Yeah. Um, when I was living in Portugal. In By the way, that sounded awesome. Yeah, that sounded really good. I, I just want to say that even though they went around and asked, everyone was like, no, we're totally cool with the music. Really? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so you're in... I was living in Portugal in 2007, and I literally received a phone call from somebody I didn't know, and he asked me, give me your address, and I said, why? And he's like, I'm in a divine mission, and you're the chosen. And, like, wow. I gave him my address, and a week later, this fucking crazy saxophone arrived. It's a con that's 60 years old. It's, like, a really rare saxophone yeah. that all the, like, famous saxophone players played on. And then I came to New York, and I actually got to meet the guy that gave me the saxophone. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did he hear about you, though? Um, I played a jazz festival in Portugal, and a friend of his saw me and told him about me. And and then I got to meet Miguel finally in, in Portugal in, in New York, and he's like a really cool guy. He's a saxophone player himself, who got a lot of money by doing a translation company, and he's the most generous, amazing guy. And I just mentioned like I did, I just asked him like what kind of brand of baritone saxophone should I get? I'm like thinking about buying a, a cheap one, and he's like, oh, you want a Barry? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I have a Mark Six. Those are twelve grand. They cost twelve grand. This is this one right here. It's like the best one. I said, like, yeah, yeah, I, I have it in Valencia right now. I got it, I got it to you by the end of the month. And he did. And then we played a party at his house, and and he took... Well, Mike, do you want to tell that story? Yeah, so we were playing... So we played a party at Miguel's house on his roof. And, um, you know, just having a good time. And then after we played, he's like, Hey, Mike, I just bought a Sonny Stitz horn off eBay. Sonny uh, Stitz is a really famous saxophone player. Yeah. Uh, like from way back he's like you want to check it out I said yeah obviously so I go down and uh, he's like why don't you play it if you fall in love with it you can have it it's like oh my god okay (laughs) who is this guy Jesus a good man man. he's a saxophone Jesus but um yeah so so we went to his room and like a bunch of people came and I played it and I loved it you know it was just like the best one I ever played and uh Gave it to me that night. It was a trip. It was pretty weird. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> the look on your face was. Amazing. Mike started crying. I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. I cried a little bit. Yeah, I would. I would cry I would too. Cry too. I would have cried too. That's amazing. And it also, you know, shaped two thirds of the band. Yeah. And the sound like. It's all yeah. It's all. I mean, vintage, is it, is it, vintage saxophones that yeah. we could never afford. <laughs> Nine ones from 1941. Yeah. And it's all coming from these two. Like you couldn't recreate this with cheaper horns. No, you no. could, but, uh, but but not but, the same quality. I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you can't. Yeah. Replace a Mark VI, you know. You can't replace a Con. Yeah. They all. It's amazing. So, um, you know, uh, why don't you guys tell us about? You know, you have a show coming up in April, right? Yeah, April thirteenth. Yeah, April thirteenth. Knitting Factory. Yeah. Is it just you guys, or is anybody else playing? Um, it's just us, and mm-hmm. it starts at twelve a.m. So. Or, midnight. Yeah, midnight. midnight. Oh, amazing. Uh. And then uh, so wait, is that the Thursday night or the Friday night? Yeah, that's the confusion. Friday but it's night. Friday night. Okay, yeah, you Friday can s- you can buy tickets online at uh, Ticketfly. I, I usually just try and tell people it starts at eleven fifty nine on Friday. Night. Yeah, yeah, I know eleven fifty nine. Because then yeah, yeah. yeah. It always gets confusing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. eleven fifty nine. And then they don't Friday miss, night. Eleven fifty nine, fifty nine seconds. You know, yeah, fifty nine seconds exactly. Yeah, uh, we t- we take the stage, and then um, <laughs> you guys have one record out already. Yeah, and where can you get that? Yeah. You can get it on Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, on iTunes, you can get it on Amazon. Amazon. Any, anything that you can buy CDs on. Spotify. Um, anything, really. Amazing. And then you said you have another record coming out. Well, it's not coming out. It's uh. just being produced right now by us. Yeah, created, we, yeah. We have about probably 23, 24 Yeah, we have songs. another 12 songs. Amazing. But, but we want, what we want to do for our next album... We, this album is totally acoustic everything. And for the next album, we want to... We want to elaborate on the sound a little bit, you know. Like we're gonna inc- start incorporating electronic effects. And yeah, or, or we've been also going to junkyards collecting metal, and you know we're planning on building percussion racks, and I don't know. We maybe even incorporate like some rhythmic samples of a train of a subway train going through the tunnel in Bedford. You know, Got cut it. it up, make a drum set out of it. Just like we want to experiment a lot with it and surprise our fans with our next That's album. Awesome. Bigger band. Um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll expand. Well, we're we gonna we're gonna have some guests. We're gonna have yeah. a rapper. We're gonna have a singer that we're actually working on with right now already. And we're also gonna invite five saxophone players for one song or two. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So why don't you give the nuts and bolts of where to find you guys uh, online, Twitter, email, bookings, all that stuff. Yeah. Um. You can you can see us online. Uh, just you know, um, Facebook Moon Hooch or Twitter Moon Hooch, um, Moonhooch dot com. Or uh, moonhooch.bandcamp.com. Just Google us. We're on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's going to be hard to find us. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So I think we're going to have to call it today. Yeah. The, uh, uh, this is the first time that's actually two of the owners are sitting out there. Uh, of all the times that have come to we, play. We'll do one more. Is Roberto out there? We're good on one more, guys. Oh, we are good on one more? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so, uh, anyway, okay. Great. All right. So, on the show. So, thank you to uh, everybody who's on the show today. Thank you for the fried chicken sandwiches from uh, Smith Canteen, Sears Sucker. Uh, are you going to be here next week? No, I'll actually be gone for the next few weeks. Uh, next week, Jack, you'll be happy about this. It's a DJ set. Uh, Lemonade, um, our good friends Lemonade are going to come back. They're going to play a DJ set, talk about the new record they have coming out in May. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back with uh, some more episodes of Snack and Tunes. And I'll be back in a few weeks. See you. Okay. Well, okay. You're going to be okay? I guess. I'll hug you after this. All right. Okay. I didn't know you were going to be missing so many weeks. Surprise. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, okay. well, I'll, I'll be here for well, this for this next one. We're gonna. What is that? Wenzel's sticking a cardboard tube in his saxophone, in the bell of the saxophone, to um, to lower the pitch of the horn. Yeah, so it makes, it makes the lowest note a minus six lower. And we're gonna try and emulate some dubstep. Uh, okay. All right, here we go. So sorry, Hooch. sorry, owners of. No, no, no. no it's fine. Moon, fine. Hey, they gave us the sign off. Moon Hooch on uh, Snacky Tunes. Uh, I'll see you next week. Greg will not. Have fun at Coachella. I'll try. Okay, bye. <laughs>
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.